Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. I'm your guest host, Kalista. And I'm your host, Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys about Kelly Cochran. So pour yourself a hot cup of coffee and get ready to dive in with us. I do want to make a quick comment really fast before we jump into this episode about Abby. If you guys are regular listeners, then you know that Abby has not been on the last couple episodes. So for those of you that don't know, Abby is currently in college right now getting her master's degree and she moved about two hours away from me. And because she's getting her master's degree and working, we have had a hard time trying to get together to do a lot of episodes. Getting your master's degree takes up a lot of time and working it in with my job as well. We've just not been able to get together as often as we would like, but we are hoping to be able to get a bunch of stuff recorded over the upcoming holidays. And so we should have a bunch of episodes to release for you guys with Abby in them. But at this time... My sister, Milena, has been filling in on episodes, and today, my cousin, Kalista, is going to be filling in on this episode. Hi, guys. So, I just want to thank my sister and my cousin for being willing to step in and kind of fill in for Abby a little bit. I know Abby's very grateful for it, and to all of our listeners out there, Abby will be back soon. Within the next couple of episodes, she should be back. This episode today that I'm going to be telling you guys about is actually a case suggestion from one of our listeners, Michelle W. And this story is about Kelly Cochran. So thank you to Michelle for submitting a case. If you guys want to submit a case, you guys can go over to our Instagram, our Facebook, or our email and send us a message, comment on a post, email us, however you want to contact us. All of that information will be at the very end of our episode for our ads and everything. And you can send in suggestions. We love it. So Kelly and Jason Cochran got married in 2002, but their marriage wasn't quite the typical marriage that you would expect for two people. On October 13th, 2014, 32-year-old Kelly and her husband, 36-year-old Jason, had decided to come up with this plan. And the plan had to do with the fact that Kelly was having an ongoing affair with 51-year-old Christopher Reagan. So Christopher was actually the co-worker of Kelly and that was how they had met and they'd been having this affair and Jason had found out about it and he was not at all happy. Rightfully so. Yes. And so they came up with the plan to lure Christopher over to their home the evening after and they would murder him. Interesting. I'm not sure that that's the correct step to go to next when you find out that your wife is cheating on you. Definitely not the way I would handle the situation. But that's the way that they wanted to. So the plan was for Kelly to promise Christopher a night of sex. But then when he arrived at the house, Jason would quote unquote find him with his wife and would then murder him because of catching her in the act, basically. So on October 14th, Kelly invited Christopher over, said, hey, let's come have a fun night. And he came over. And when he got there, Jason pretended like he was supposed to, to catch Kelly and Christopher sleeping together. And he ended up shooting Christopher in the head with a 22 caliber long barrel shotgun. And this shot was actually fatal. But they went a step further because, like I said, they had planned it. Together, they worked to dismember his body with an electric handsaw. And then they put the pieces of his body in multiple garbage bags 
and threw them into the woods around the Iron River in Michigan. I'm not even sure if I have words to describe how I feel about their choice and how to handle this situation. It's definitely an interesting choice. And I also find it odd that Kelly decided to help take out the man she was sleeping with. I will actually explain that part a little bit later on why she agreed to go along with this, supposedly. All right, we will stay tuned. A few days later, on October 27th, 2014, Christopher was officially reported missing. His car had been found abandoned at a park and ride lot, which was about four miles east of Iron River. And pretty immediately, police started looking into Kelly because people in Christopher's life kind of led police to her by saying, like, they were having an affair. And as far as we know, she was the last one to be seen with him. But other than this suspicions from other people, they didn't really have any evidence that they could go off of. In May of 2015, police and FBI were able to search her home, but they didn't find anything. This did, however, worry Kelly that they might find something. So she decided to move her and her husband to Lake County, Indiana. Indiana? Indiana. Indiana. Like the state that we are currently in. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. State of corn and fields. So I know you're worried about this whole Indiana thing, but let me tell you something else else about what Jason and Kelly may or may not have done. Am I going to find it more concerning? All right. Some people believe that not all of his body was disposed of. And according to Kelly's brother, Colton, he said that neighbors and friends were concerned that they were served parts of Christopher at a neighborhood barbecue. You're kidding. No. Please tell me you're kidding. I'm not kidding. All right. Well, carry on. I don't want to. (laughs) A friend specifically stated that they had a burger at the cookout and it tasted very strange. And they believed that it was most likely human meat that they had been eating. What would your reaction to that be if someone told you that you probably just ate another human? I don't know what my reaction would be. What would yours be? Because I'd probably throw up. Yeah, I feel like I'd probably throw up as well. Also, if I've learned anything from serial killers, it's don't eat anything at a cookout. That's a fair rule of thumb. Just bring your own food, guys. Police still didn't have any specific evidence that they could use against Kelly, but they did continue to investigate with Kelly listed as a person of interest. So police actually continued to investigate the case and they just left Kelly listed as a person of interest a year into the investigation and they still had no proof that Kelly had done anything. That was until February of 2016. There was another little twist in our story. Any guesses? You know, I don't think I have any guesses yet. Her husband, Jason, was found dead. Wow, that was not what I was expecting, I'll be honest. Yes. So Kelly found Jason at their home and called 911 and told the dispatchers that she didn't know what was wrong, but he was throwing up and sweating and she needed an ambulance right away. When paramedics arrived at the home, they found Jason unresponsive and they were unable to revive him. Medics said that Kelly during this time was very disruptive while they were working on her husband's body. Disruptive how? For whatever reason, she just kept like talking to them and trying to kind of distract them almost. Interesting. Paramedics are actually led to believe that Jason had died from a heroin overdose, as most of the symptoms that he had been having portrayed that as the cause of death. However, the coroner's report ended up showing that he had died from asphyxiation complicated by heroin intoxication. Obviously, police immediately suspect 
Kelly. And they're like, she probably had something to do with his death. She was already on our radar for Christopher. Probably her. Seems like a fair assumption. I would agree. And in most cases, they look at the significant other first. Looking at the coroner's report and everything, police decided that Kelly probably had something to do with this death as well. So they were really interested in her and wanted to kind of find out more information. She held a memorial service for Jason and posted on social media that his death was, quote, the hardest thing I will ever have to deal with, end quote. But police really didn't buy this. They were pretty sure that she had played a hand in Jason's death. Nine weeks after Jason died, Michigan authorities charged Kelly with Christopher's death and she fled Indiana right away. But she didn't really go very far. She just went to Kentucky. Doesn't seem like she was the brightest. She went from Michigan to Indiana to Kentucky. She's just like working her way down the map. I'm not sure. She really didn't make it very far. No. Seems like you would go a lot further than that. Yes. (laughs) Much further. She was pretty quickly found in Kentucky and was arrested on April 28th and taken into custody. After she was arrested, she was interrogated by Michigan and Indiana police for almost 70 hours. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. 70 hours? Is that a record-breaking amount of interrogation? I don't think it is. But remember, there were two states interrogating her for two different murders at this point. That's fair. I guess you can break it up into like 35 hours for each murder. Still seems like a pretty long time to last. I think it's a long amount of time, but it's I don't think it's the longest. There was a case that we did a couple months ago, maybe a year ago or so, and the suspect in that one was interrogated for multiple hours on end. And there is actually a lot of like studies and information about what it can do to a person when you interrogate them for so long and if it can turn their confession in any way. I don't know if I believe that that's necessarily the case in this one. But this is a lot of time, probably, to be interrogating somebody. Throughout the interrogation, though, she was able to direct investigators to a desolate stretch in Michigan that was near Iron River, where police were able to find a human skull with an apparent bullet hole. They found bones and bone fragments. They also found a 22 caliber rifle, a 22 caliber bullet, and a pair of glasses that they believed had belonged to Christopher. So they were pretty sure they had found the burial site of Christopher. While Kelly was in custody, the police were questioning her about not only Christopher's death, but also the death of her husband. And her story continuously changed throughout the investigation. Eventually, Kelly settled on the story that she had injected him with an overdose of heroin and then put her hands on his nose and mouth and he died in under a minute. And based on the evidence that they'd been presented, this was the most believable story that Kelly had told thus far. In one of her interviews in Indiana, this was actually in Hobart, Indiana, Kelly had told police that she did have a motive for her crimes, and she said that her marriage had needed to be saved. She had said that back in 2014, her and Jason had gotten into an argument about her affair. 
And when asked how she was going to fix things, the two decided that the way to fix it would just be by offing Christopher. So that's the answer to my previous question then as to why she decided to assist in the killing of her lover. Yes. And she kind of claimed that Jason did it all by herself and he had taken the only good thing in her life from her. She also said that Jason was very verbally and physically abusive and kind of forced her to do this. This is something that we'll discuss a little bit later as to whether or not that's what you believe or what you feel like after I present all the evidence. Kelly also claimed that on her and Jason's wedding night, they had made an agreement that if anyone interfered with their relationship at all in the in terms of an affair or anything, their pact kind of was that they would kill them. So they made the decision day one. Yes. Interesting wedding vows. I agree. I think if my husband said, hey, let's agree to kill somebody if they do this, probably not stay in for the night. Definitely fair. I would have to agree. There are court records from Jason's trial that have Kelly on the stand saying that, quote, I still hate him, referring to her husband. And yes, it was revenge. I evened the score, end quote. So essentially by that statement, she's making it out to seem as though she's upset because they ended up killing Christopher. Yes, she is upset that Christopher's gone. And so she took her anger out on Jason because she blames Jason for Christopher being gone. So did she forget the agreement they made? I'm not sure. But also, even if you made that agreement, I think that's something that you can change your mind on. And she claimed that for a short period of time before they ended up murdering Christopher, she had debated killing Jason instead and kind of turning the tables that night. During the trial, Kelly did not address any of the allegations regarding the cannibalism. Interesting. So I don't know, I guess it didn't, I think that it was maybe brought up, but I don't believe that she said anything to confirm it or to deny it. I think she just, it kind of ignored the situation. And I don't know if that's something that her lawyers, defense attorney probably told her, don't comment on that at all. So could it potentially just be rumors then? It could be rumor, yes. But it's rumors that multiple people believed. I don't know if there was any evidence that police were able to find at all regarding this but it is something that people were definitely concerned about. At the end of the trial, Kelly was charged with the murder of her husband in Indiana, and she was sentenced to 65 years in prison. One thing that I typically do in my research is I will look at the obituary of our victim. A lot of times I do that because I'm trying to get some backstory on the person so that I can kind of give you guys more information about who we're talking about. In this situation, there wasn't a lot there in the obituary, but one thing that I found very strange was that the obituary for Jason listed Kelly as his quote-unquote loving wife. Now, I know that the obituary probably would have came out a day or two after his death, and they may not have known at that time that it was anything more sinister and that maybe his wife was involved, but it does make you kind of wonder what his parents were thinking or the friends and family who ever submitted the obituary. Did nobody see what kind of relationship the two had? It definitely seems like maybe everyone around them was oblivious or maybe they were just trying to make light of the situation and hope for the best. And that's possible. I just happened to notice it in there and I kind of thought it was a little weird, even though, like I said, there's a good chance it was listed prior to knowing anything else about his death. So Kelly was charged in Indiana for the death of Jason, but in Michigan, she was still facing charges at the time related to Christopher's death. She'd not gone through a trial. 
The charges that she was facing included homicide, assisting her husband to mutilate, deface, remove, or carry away a portion of a dead body, and concealing the death of an individual. Kelly pled not guilty to all charges. Iron County prosecuting attorney Melissa Powell thinks that Kelly was probably responsible for more deaths than just the two that she had been on trial for. Her brother Colton had told authorities that he believes that he and his family and her friends believed that his sister had slaughtered at least nine victims and that her victims would be buried somewhere in Michigan, Indiana, Tennessee, and Minnesota. Nine victims. Yes, that's the number that he believes. And over how long of a period of time do you think? I'm not sure if there was a period of time that they were looking at, but I don't know if it was since she met Jason or if there were victims that she had possibly been murdering prior to meeting Jason. Interesting. I just find it odd that her family never brought forth any of this information until after she was already charged. I'm assuming that they probably didn't want to think the worst of her. A lot of times people kind of put on these blinders and not want to believe the worst in somebody that they care about. And so until something's brought to light where they can actually see what kind of person they are, they don't really see what kind of person they are. I am curious, though, with the nine victims that Colton said that she had, what made him think that there were nine specifically? Were they ex-lovers? Had she previously talked about the fact that she might have murdered other people? I'm not sure what made them specifically come up with the number nine. That is interesting. It seems like there has to be something connecting the victims then for her brother to assume something like that. The only thing I could think of is if he had seen some sort of weird connection. I didn't see anything specifically linking them, but if they had seen some sort of weird connection where people in Kelly's life were just kind of were dying and maybe there were similar circumstances. Maybe others had died of heroin overdoses and that's why Colton was like, I think there might be more. He also had said that he believed Kelly had trinket bags where she kept her trophies from her previous murders. And how do you think that he would have known that? I'm not sure, I guess. I don't know if he found something and thought that it was that or if Jason had told him something or if Kelly had slipped something up. I I don't know, but this is just things that Colton had talked about and it was brought up during the trial that there was a possibility that Kelly Cochran was actually a serial killer and had been murdering people for many years and had just never been caught. Unfortunately, the plea deal that she took in Indiana means that Indiana cannot charge her for any additional murders. So if she was to be charged for any other murders, she would have to be charged in the surrounding states where she had possibly murdered other victims. So Michigan, Tennessee, Minnesota, any other places that it might have happened. Supposedly, Kelly has claimed to be responsible for other deaths. And the prosecuting attorney, Melissa Powell, took her statement serious enough that they decided that they were going to question Kelly's mental health. So before Melissa could really investigate into the claims that Kelly had been making about these other deaths that she might have been involved in, Melissa had to prove that Kelly was competent. So she voluntarily admitted to potentially killing other people. Yes. And I don't know if she just said, like, if they just said, have you killed other people? And she said yes. Or if she brought that to their attention. I know Colton had brought it to their attention, but I don't know if she also just brought it up. The district court judge at the time agreed and he ordered a forensic examination of Kelly to determine both mental competency and criminal responsibility. Melissa had found that Kelly had a long history of mental illnesses and had previously admitted herself voluntarily into a psychiatric hospital in Indiana for suicidal ideation. Kelly had apparently 
apparently written goodbye letters to her family and had threatened to commit suicide while incarcerated, as well as threatened bodily harm against anybody that she came in contact with. So are mental health issues something that you see pretty typically within serial killers? A lot of times the mental health issues that you're going to see are just going to be the typical sociopath and psychopath. You will see some other different tendencies as well that are come out with mental illness. What they're looking for in this specific situation is to determine whether or not she is capable of making a decision or if her basic IQ level would be below a certain amount where she's not aware of what decision she's making. If she's unable to determine the difference between right and wrong. Most serial killers are able to determine the difference between right and wrong and so they're still charged. If somebody is found incompetent or with a lower IQ, then they will typically receive a lesser sentence somewhere in a psychiatric ward or somewhere where they can actually receive mental help and they won't necessarily find themselves in a regular jail. I couldn't find whether or not the forensics examination was ever done. I don't know how long that necessarily takes, but I do know that at the time that this was ordered, she was being held in the Iron County Jail on a $5 million cash bond. So she's not getting out. In 2017, there was a trial where Kelly was charged with Christopher's death. And so I'm going to go through this trial a little bit. This is once again, like I said, Kelly claimed she was forced to do it. Her husband was abusive and forced her. During her sentencing for Christopher's death, Christopher's ex-girlfriend, Terry O'Donnell, testified that she knew Christopher had gone missing, but she didn't expect to hear of his brutal death. And she said that she was terrified of Kelly. A quote from her after the trial says, quote, The first time I saw her was in the courthouse. I just remember her staring at me and grinning. I took a deep breath and thought she was the scariest person I've ever seen. I was afraid. I could not look at her for the rest of the time I was there testifying. It was like she was laughing and saying, look at what I did. You can't stop me. She just sat there and grinned. It was like the devil looking at you. And after I testified, I totally lost it. I just remember driving, speeding, not knowing if I had crossed the border. I did not know if I was in Wisconsin or Michigan. I did not know what to do. I just wanted to run as far away from Kelly as possible, end quote. Wow, that's a pretty chilling description of Kelly. It definitely gives you a very interesting way to look at Kelly. Very graphic. I agree. I think that she's probably, I mean, she now knows what Kelly has done. She's sat through the trial. She's heard all these things. She's heard that there are these accusations that Kelly might be a serial killer, the cannibalism accusations. And I'm going to post a photo of Kelly on our social media if you guys want to check it out. I did just show Kalisa a photo of her. So Kalisa, what are your thoughts? Well, to be honest with you, I feel as though she's pretty scary looking. Like if I saw her on the street, I'd probably go the other way. Her mugshot specifically is one of the creepier ones that I've seen. Like I said, I'll post that for you guys if you want to go look at it. At the end of the trial, Kelly was charged with first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison for Christopher's murder. This was on top of her already having been sentenced to 65 years in prison for Jason's murder. Kelly was also charged with these additional charges. She was charged with two and a half to four years for imprisonment for larceny in a building, six to 10 years imprisonment for conspiracy to mutilate a dead body, three to five years imprisonment for concealing the death of a person, and two and a half to four years imprisonment for lying to a peace officer, which adds up to the life in prison, an additional 14 to 23 years, and then the 65 years for the murder of her husband, Jason. So she's not getting out. Correct. Unless an appeal was able to be filed where any of those 
senses were kind of discontinued, then she would be in prison for forever. Yes. In 2019, Kelly did file an appeal against the sentencing for the murder of Christopher Reagan, and she claimed that the evidence used during the trial should not have been allowed in court. And what caused her to make that claim? Well, her defense team said that certain evidence during the trial was in violation of MRE 404B, which states, quote, evidence of other crimes, wrongs, or acts is not admissible to prove the character of a person in order to show action in conformity therewith. It may, however, be admissible for other purposes, such as proof of motive, opportunity, intent, preparation, scheme, plan, or system in doing an act, knowledge, identity, or absence of mistake or accident when the same is material. Whether such other crimes, wrongs, or acts are contemporaneous with or prior or subsequent to the conduct at issue in the case, end quote. So what exactly does that boil down to? That was a very long sentence, and I apologize, but that is specifically what MRE 404B states. So basically, it's saying that it was a lot of comments about her character and not necessarily facts about the crimes themselves. So these claims would have been the fact that she was a so-called serial killer that there was suspicion she had murdered other people. There was suspicions that she had fed part of Christopher to other people. The fact that they may or may not have had a trophy or trinket bag where they had kept stuff from previous murders. There were a lot of things that were just, like I said, brought out about her character that her and her defense team decided was probably not appropriate because it wasn't factual. There was also references to Kelly having made shanks and making homemade weapons out of her eyeglasses while she was in jail. So like I said, just comments about her character that wasn't necessarily appropriate for the trial because it wasn't necessarily what had happened during the crime itself. However, the Court of Appeals found that they were admissible in court and everything that had been said was perfectly okay to have been presented during the trial. So her appeal was actually kind of just pushed out. It was declined. And she is still serving her sentence at this time. So, Kalisa, what are your thoughts on Kelly Cochran? So, my thoughts. First of all, I would like to ask, is she classified as an actual serial killer? She's not. She's classified as a potential serial killer. At this time, I don't know where they're at in investigating all nine possible victims or any other potential victims that she's had in her past. But there is many suspicions that she is a serial killer. It's just not officially proven. So from the discussion that we've been having, I kind of feel as though there are a couple signs that lead me to believe that there is definitely some potential that she could be classified as a serial killer. I think one of those things is the fact that during her conversations with her defense attorney, she brought forth the information that she had potentially killed other people more than just the two that she was charged with. And I think that when someone admits to those things, they almost are presenting as they're proud of those, almost as though it's an accomplishment, which is something that serial killers tend to do. I would agree. The one thing that I'm going to say to kind of dispute what you're saying is there are many criminals, and I know you're not like as much into true crime as Abby and I are when we constantly research it, but there's many times where people will, once they're already arrested and in custody, they will start admitting to all of these crimes that they didn't commit just so that they can look tougher. So if she puts up this front that she's a serial killer and has all in all 11 victims, then in prison, a lot of people aren't going to want to mess with her because they're like, she's killed a lot. And honestly, they're probably going to have more respect for her. 
And that's definitely a fair point as well. I just wanted to make a comment on it because I feel as though that's something that's kind of a natural tendency, but I could definitely go either way. It's absolutely a tendency. I just wanted to kind of talk about the other side of that, that she may have just been doing it strictly for the publicity and the attention. For sure. And I think from what else I could see, it seems like maybe if she truly was keeping trinkets or treasures, as we called them earlier, from her different murders, as her brother had mentioned, I think maybe that could be another sign. But again, that wasn't necessarily proven. So at this point, those are kind of my thoughts. So for me, it's still up in the air as to whether or not she would be classified as a serial killer. And we definitely don't know how many people she actually killed which is another factor into the situation. I would agree with all of that. And this is an ongoing investigation. So hopefully within the next few years, some evidence can be brought to light to really kind of bring some closure to the families of the victims if they do exist. And we can find out whether or not Kelly Cochran would be classified as a serial killer. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.